and welcome to Show Me Your Mic. I'm your host, Chris Enns. Show Me Your Mic is the podcast where I talk to other podcasters about the podcast they do. The gear, the software, the philosophies, if we can be so bold, behind the podcasts that they produce. My guest this episode is Carl Morand. He is the host of Middle East Week, a podcast about important issues, events in the Middle East. He's got about 32 episodes into his show, and uh, it was great to talk to him. He's over in Iman, Jordan, and so uh, early morning for him, late night for me. We had a good chat about the gear and the different stuff that he uses over there to podcast with, and as well as some interesting shows that he listens to, so stick around to the end to hear that. Enjoy the show. So, Carl, you're coming to me from, like we were saying before we started recording, somewhere halfway around the world or all the way around the world. Um, you're the host of Middle East Week at MiddleEastWeek.org, which uh, in the bio you gave me, or I found, I can't remember, it's a podcast about important issues, events in the Middle East. And uh, it's, uh, it's I think I'm, I was going through the, uh, sort of mentally going through the archives. I think this is probably the most um, potential for political... <laughs> discussion <laughs> that uh, I've had on this show, or sorry, not political discussion necessarily, but for me putting my foot in my mouth, uh, figuratively speaking, involved <laughs> in political discussion, because um, anyways, welcome to the show. I, I'm, I'm just laying that out there. I like to preface everything I do with lots of disclaimers, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's understandable. Thank you uh, for having me on. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, and uh, where where exactly in the world are you for folks who aren't? I'm in uh, Amman, Jordan right now, uh, where it is early, early in the morning. <laughs> but as I mentioned to you, uh, I try and do all my recordings. I try and schedule them for the middle of the night, my time, which tends to work out relatively well for people who I interview who are back in the U.S. on East Coast time or West Coast time. That works out for them sort of in the evening for them. But the real reason is that the middle of the night here is the only time I can count on my internet being reliable enough to do a Skype call and get even remotely decent audio. If I tried to do it during the middle of the afternoon, my time, it's almost pointless. So, yeah, tell me about that. What's the the situation with, with your internet? Is it that, um, is that indicative of the region or just, you know, your your apartment or your place where you live just doesn't have access to good higher speed internet or, or what's the, um, I think it's, it's largely, largely in the region. I mean, there are places that'll have, and people that'll have high speed internet, especially if you have a lot of money and you can get a hardwired line, but like back in the U S it's not nearly as common for people to have a a hard line, you know, a cable line coming into their house to then go to a, a router most people get online over here on their computers through USB dongles that are just a little USB uh, modem. And you might see some people, you know, in the U.S. or Canada having like people that travel, things like that. They might have them. But over here, they're very, very common. That's how most people get online. And so when I first came over here, that's what I was using. But it was terrible. The The speeds were awful. And I was constantly paranoid that I was going to break it because just having this, you know, it's basically, yeah. imagine anytime you want to get online, you have a USB thumb drive sticking out of your laptop. I just was paranoid that I was going to snap it off. And so I, I looked for a, a better solution. And what I'm using now is 
what really looks uh, like a, a normal wireless router from back in the States. It has the little antennas, it's a little, uh, little box, but it actually receives a 3G wireless signal the same way the little dongle did, the same type signals people receive on their phone, and it has two antennas that pick up that signal and then one antenna that sends out a, a wireless signal for you know my apartment. So that's what I'm using now. It's like I said, not it's it's fine during the day for you know surfing the internet and things like that. But in terms of having a, a Skype call that I'd actually want to record and have people listen to, it's not nearly fast enough and reliable enough for that. But you know, you, you get by, you sort of find ways to make do with what you can. Yeah, and so that's like you're saying, most people would be signed up with the cellular provider of just like we would for our phones over here, smartphones or whatever. That's But that's what you're relying on for your main internet connection, aside from those flush with cash, I guess. That <laughs> yeah, pretty much everything I've seen yeah. and people getting online is through, you know, some sort of wireless system. I, mean, I don't mean wireless, like within your house. I mean, it's coming, you know, wireless signal coming from a tower. That's how most people you'll see seem to get online over here. Interesting. And you keep referring back to, you know, U.S. So just for, for folks, I guess, a bit of your background, um, are you from, you're from the U.S. originally or where, what's your sort of history? Yeah, I, uh, I uh, grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio and uh, lived there till I was 18. And then I went off to uh, college at the Ohio State University. And uh, that lasted for about two years until I realized that I uh, wasn't doing so well in school and didn't really have any sort of sense of direction or discipline or anything. So i sort of decided I need to to find something new and completely different. And so I ended up joining the Army. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was quite the change. And most of my family and friends were quite shocked. Uh, I joined in 2005. I left uh, to go in September of 2005 and uh, was in the Army till 2010. Spent, uh, what was it, like four and a half years or so. Went uh, over to Iraq twice, spent about 27 months over in Iraq. And then uh, when I got out, I went back to school, went to uh, New York and used the GI Bill, which paid for all my schooling and everything, which was phenomenal. So I could live in a very expensive city and still be able to go to school full time. So that was a big help. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm not American, obviously, but or not. Maybe that's not obvious to people. But in case it, <laughs> in case they're not aware, <laughs> so I guess indirectly or or whatever the case may be, uh, thank you for your service. It feels a little weird thanking you from a different country, but that's all the same. That's uh, no easy feat. So. Still appreciated. Yeah, <laughs> I think the uh, thanks is is fairly universal. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. um, and so then still, I guess the. Uh, the, when you finish your studies at, in university, uh, that's still a, a bit of a leap to most most folks, I would guess, who have been to the Middle East in conflict of some sort, probably aren't too anxious to go back. So what what was the what was yeah, the job, I, was, I guess, to go back? I was the only one of my friends and people I knew in the military, I think, that really had an interest in the region and actually wanted to return. Most of my you know, good friends that I still keep in contact with from my time in the army. When I talk about the Middle East or before I came over here, when I was still going to school in New York, when I tell them like, yeah, really, when I get out, when I finish school, I want to move back over to the Middle East. I want to travel around there. They just thought I was 
completely crazy. But I got, you know, I was into interested in the region a little bit before I went into the military. And then that really, that my time over here, the interest just sort of grew. And so while I was at school, I studied international studies at Fordham in New York. And I focused on the Middle East and it just, you know, my interest in it grew. And I I wanted to to come back over to the region as a civilian and spend some time living over here and traveling over here and, you know, get to experience things without having to be walking around with, you know, a weapon and body armor and living <laughs> at, at bases. You know what I mean? I wanted to experience it in a, a very different way than I had previously. Right. And and to be so just so people don't uh, maybe think of it. Um I'm completely ignorant of the region. Obviously, Iraq is a different country than Jordan. <laughs> I'm aware of that. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's well, not that, but you'd be surprised how many people I talk to or that think it's just sort of one homogenous area and that because there's lots of problems in one area, that must mean that everywhere has problems. And the, yeah, that's definitely not the case at all. Yeah. And that's more, I guess, maybe what I mean is when I say you went back to the Middle East, it's, you know, it's kind of like saying you went back to North America and <laughs> you had issues in Toronto, but you were actually living now in Texas or something. And I mean, yeah, different geography, obviously already, uh, before I, before I put my foot too far in my mouth and get myself in trouble with, uh, some sort of either geographical or political stable. Let's move on to podcasting because that's uh, All right. the reason where you're here. <laughs> um, but I do have to say that it, I remember even, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember if this was the first Iraq war or the second, but uh, anyways, being just, yeah, fascinated with the people in the region and, and uh, political and, and military issues aside, just, yeah, I can appreciate, I guess, the, the draw of, you know, just going to a completely different culture learning more about them. I think you had mentioned, maybe it was in your bio about um, learning to speak Arabic as well. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a a slow and and steady process. Uh, It's a a long, a long journey. It's a marathon for sure. (laughs) Not a, not a sprint. Yeah. And so your podcast though is, is English, I would assume. Yes. What you're saying. (laughs) And, uh, and the folks that you're interviewing for it, um, you're about 30 some episodes in into the show. Um, is this your first sort of foray into podcasting? As a yeah, show it's the it? first. I I uh, I did uh, another show briefly um, for a, a couple episodes interviewing some authors, but that was a sporadic thing. This is the the first you know first thing I've really tried to do regularly, and I, I started the show last year and then did it uh, while I was still in school through uh, the spring and into the summer of last year and then had to stop for a little while as I was traveling, coming over here, you know, different things sort of got in the way to where I never had time to sort of have a sustained period where I could do the show regularly. And then a couple months ago, just decided I want to commit to really doing it on a regular basis. And so I don't, I don't have a, a release schedule based on any certain date. It's not like, you know, new episodes out every Tuesday or anything like that. But I try and lately have been at least one show every week, you know, that depends on my schedule and depends on when I am able to get guests, but at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, putting out some new episode. And are you doing, um, uh, like you said earlier, Skype interviews, is that sort of the, or do you also have local folks that you're talking to? It, up till now, it's been all Skype 
um, Skype interviews just like this. Um, I'm working on doing more local stuff, doing more in-person interviews. I'm in the process of putting together a couple pieces that I've recorded over here. And, and some of those will be sort of the, you know, similar to the shows that I've done so far, just a, a one-on-one sort of traditional interview. Only, the only difference being that I'll be in the room with the person. And then other things I'm working on will be more sort of edited together pieces, not not so much just question and answer, you know, with a little more editing and, and work done to them. Yeah. And I'm curious, though, with, with it being, like I said earlier, you know, political-themed show, it's not... Um I haven't listened to every single episode, so I don't know, you know, obviously what exactly you're, you're talking about every, every, um, episode, but, you know, just looking at some of the topics that, uh, jihadis on Twitter, oil and politics in Libya, Yemen's divisions and revolution. Um, it, is it hard to given, you know, especially I guess perceptions from North America looking over, is it hard to sort of remain somewhat partisan in these discussions or are you ever sort of worried about something being said that's, takes on wrong or, you know, any of those kinds of things? Or am I just the extra um, sensitive Canadian who's <laughs> we're apologizing for everything? <laughs> no, I, I definitely think that is a, a concern and something I, I keep in mind. Part of, part of the way I, I deal with that definitely starts with who I have on as guests. That's where dealing with that issue really begins is making sure the, the guests I'm having on are people that are going to come on and give valuable information and insight and analysis and that aren't the type of person who's just there to push a specific agenda or try and pitch an issue a a certain way. So I think largely I'm able to deal with that by getting quality guests on the show. And the focus of the show, although yes, we deal with issues that are extremely contentious at times, the, the the purpose is to provide more information and background and context for important issues that are going on. And so they could potentially, you know, take sides, I guess, in, in, in a way. But I haven't really run into that too much uh, in the past. There are going to be people who, when you cover any particular issue, are going to feel that, Maybe one side was covered too much or they didn't like the way that their opinion or their side of an issue was discussed. There's no there's no getting around that. There's no pleasing everyone, even though I try and, you know, have the show be as long as necessary and as in-depth as necessary. You obviously can't cover every bit of history and every event that's happened and every detail. So there are going to be people at times who feel like maybe you had a, a biased approach to an issue, but... I think I, I try and do a, as good a job as possible of minimizing those potential problems. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, just like anything, I mean, obviously there's a bit more history and political, uh, you know, and like I said, military things attached to it, but even something as silly as the mic you use for podcasting can set off a, <laughs> a different mm-hmm. kind of virtual war amongst, uh, amongst nerds, especially if it's uh Oh yeah. So, Oh yeah. That part is universal, I guess too. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can you can say these issues could be contentious and, you know, inspire a lot of heated debate and a lot of anger and intense emotions. But every day I see the same sort of stuff on, on Twitter with people talking about, you know, their 
their blogging software of choice or their yeah. clicky keyboard or which <laughs> weather app is best. I mean, yeah. Or, you know, what's the best way to make a good cup of coffee? And does it really <laughs> matter if you make fancy coffee? And, you know, the, everybody has issues or certain things they're passionate about and that will set them off if they <laughs> hear, or read about them discussed in a way that maybe isn't in line with their views. So yeah. that's just, <laughs> that's, that's the nature, I think, not just inherent in the shows and the topics that I cover, but just in anyone putting their opinions or putting information out into the world and, and sharing things. You're going to run into people who disagree with you and are more than happy to let you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially when you add the potential uh, anonymity of the internet to the, to the equation. So, uh, is, oh, yeah. is uh, Jordan an area, is it good? Is there good coffee there? Is it, I would assume there'd be better coffee over there maybe than what you get here, but I guess I don't really know. There is great coffee uh, over here. That is for sure. Me personally, I am a huge coffee drinker, but I, I drink so much coffee that I long ago gave up on the notion of trying to make fancy coffee every time <laughs> I want a cup of coffee. That's just not realistic and you know, 60% of my day would then be spent brewing some overly fancy, pretentious cup of coffee. If I drank <laughs> one cup of coffee, maybe I could make that fly. But right. no, with how much coffee I drink, doesn't matter. Also, the Army was very good about helping to, you know, transition me into accepting that, <laughs> hey, you know, if it's warm, if it's brown, you know, tastes somewhat coffee-ish, it's good enough. We'll yeah. go with that. So... <laughs> I, I'm okay with crappy coffee. I can I can appreciate a very nice cup of coffee, but I by no means have any problems drinking regular cheap drip coffee, instant coffee. Doesn't matter to me. Yeah, yeah. And probably it'll. I guess it depends how much you drink, but it'll save you some money in the long run too, and and some uh, money on gear and stuff. Anyways, that you might otherwise. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that, speaking of gear, transitioning from coffee gear, I guess, to podcasting gear, what? Uh, what what are you using to record and 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 uh, I guess starting with microphone? What are you? You're, you sound actually really good for uh, and hopefully it comes through in the recording. But for uh, you know again, like I said, being where you are with the type of internet connection, internet connection you have, and uh, and whatever microphone you're using, better than some folks that I talk to who are you know just down the highway here. So, what uh, starting with your mic? What are you using? So for my mic, I'm using an Audio Technica eight nine seven. It is a short shotgun mic. Uh, for anyone maybe not familiar with it or short shotgun mics, there you'll see them a lot of times uh, for people doing video. They'll have them on top of cameras. They're used a lot in uh, they're what if you watch like a film shoot or something like that, and they have a big boom pole hanging over someone's head with a mic attached to it. They're used on those and uh, electronic news gathering. People use them a lot. Um, I got it because I. Did some reading and just talked to some some journalists and stuff that I that I follow and that I've interacted with online and it was a mic that they recommended as a, a good quality sounding mic that it's very durable and so I I've had it for a couple months now and really loved it. I had a road podcaster that I used back home when I was back in the states doing the show, but didn't bring that over with me just because bringing the boom and you know the the whole setup of the podcaster at the time was just sort of more than I wanted to travel with and I wanted something that 
not only could I use it for me doing my own recordings, you know, the Skype recordings and things like we're doing now, but also something I can use when I take out and interview people, you know, out around town or wherever I might be. Obviously, the podcaster isn't something I'm going to take with me to go interview someone and, you know, try and set that up. Yeah. That's interesting. I said, um, I'm, again, I'm, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure it's the first um, short shotgun mic uh, or a shotgun mic for that matter, I guess, referenced by anybody on the, on this show, but. Um, All right. There you go. Put a little star, gold star for you. <laughs> or yeah. I don't have any sort I'll of official. It. Yeah. I'll take it. Uh, and then, uh, so going from there, obviously XLR cable of some sort, are you going into a mixer or do you just go straight like USB converter box of some sort? Yeah, well, one thing I want to mention before going from mic into the other electronics that it's plugged into, it is sitting on top of a GorillaPod tripod. Oh, nice. Which <laughs> anyone who does photography will know about those little tripods with the arms that, that look sort of like vertebrae and that you can bend all over the place. And when I was getting, you know, I was getting this mic, I knew I needed a stand. And I looked at all, you know, I looked at sort of traditional mic stands and they were all just these simple, heavy stands that didn't really have much flexibility in terms of how you can position them. And I had remembered the, these stands, these you know photography camera stands. So I looked at them up and I found one that would hold the right amount of weight and be the right size. And it has worked perfectly. It's been so great for being able to, you know, put it around. I have a bunch of stuff on the table. It's easy to maneuver around. I take it with me in my bag. It's super light, easy to, to set up if I'm on location somewhere and I just want to plop it down on, on somebody's desk. It, it works out great for that. And I've just been thrilled with this. The one thing though, I, I would highly recommend it to anybody who has a, a handheld type mic that they want to be able to put on a little stand. The only problem is that the typical connections the the screw holes for i guess the bottom of a camera and the bottom of a normal microphone clip thing that that comes with the mic are very different and so i actually have to use two separate adapters to get it to screw (laughs) on which i was lucky that at the time i was in new york and i got went to a camera store and was able to ask them i told them like look i have a normal microphone you know stand holder and a GorillaPod, and I need to I need whatever size adapters are necessary to connect the two. And after much internet searching and going back into their the back room to to check and see what they had, they finally found these two little you know teeny metal <laughs> adapters. But those were absolutely critical to making it work. But I yeah I I love this uh, this stand. It has been great. Well, yeah, I was and gonna then, say because I I have the uh, not the GorillaPod, but there's the uh, uh, where was it? Maybe it's GorillaPod. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. I have one of those for a video camera, but I was trying mm-hmm. to think, yeah, I, I, in my memory without having it in front of me, it seemed like it was a different thread but or size, but uh, I guess whatever oh. works. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> but you can get you can get it to work, and once you get it to work, it works great. But yeah, it yeah. definitely is. Don't think they're just going to connect on their own because <laughs> they will not. Nice. And sorry, I interrupted. You were going to say... And so, uh, yeah, so that, you know, like you said, XLR cable, and then that goes into a Zoom H6, which is a digital audio recorder, um, four-channel, plus it has uh, different interchangeable capsules you can put on the top for like a small XY microphone or 
you, they have other adapters and different microphone sort of attachments you can buy and, and attach to the top of it. And it's something that uh, is used a lot, the Zoom H4n before it, and this is the, the newer one that came out a couple of months ago. They're used a lot for people recording bands and things like that. And they're used some in the the um, electronic news gathering type world and sort of the more the area that I'm in. But one of the things I really loved about it is that I can use it both for out sort of on location recording and things like you would normally use one of these devices for, but I can also use it as a USB interface. And so I have my mic, my AT897 just plugged right into that via USB cable or via the XLR. And then it has a little USB out, which goes right into my computer. And so I'm able to use this setup essentially the same as I would if I had plugged in, you know, like the Rode Podcaster or Blue Mic Yeti or anything like that with the headphone monitoring and just using it as a simple, you know, XLR audio interface, which for me works great because, you know, with the traveling and trying to sort of keep gear small and portable as possible, it's always nice to to find something that has sort of multiple uses that you can really get the most out of for the the space. Yeah, no kidding. Is the... Uh... I'm somewhat familiar with the, I think it was the H4N, like you said, the predecessor. Um, but does that, on its own, does it? It has a does it come with a mic, like an onboard mic that's probably not quite as good, or does it have nothing? And then you have to you have to equip it with a mic of some sort. So it comes when you buy it. It comes with two capsules, which are if you look at like the H4N, it would have the two XY mics on the top of it. And you'll see a lot of these sort of handheld digital recorders where have some sort of, if you look at the top, two, two mics, two little stereo mics. It has, it comes with two capsules and the capsules are basically one's an XY uh, capsule. And it looks like if you chopped off the top of the H4N and just sort of made it a separate piece that attaches and detaches. And so one of them it comes with is that, and then another one is a mid-side mic that gives you a you know broader sort of range of recording. And then there are other ones you can buy to attach. So you can buy, they have a short shotgun attachment. And let's see what else. They also have an attachment for, um, to add two additional XLR ports. So if you needed to plug in six XLR cables into it, you could plug in that one and get two additional and then so but you can also use it like I'm using it now. I don't have any capsule plugged into it. I'm just using my external microphone. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. That's a, I think um, there was somebody, maybe Cliff Ravenscraft, it goes by the podcast answer, man, uh, and other folks I know who recommend even in, you know, say a situation where I, I have where I have a mixer and stuff, I should be doing uh, backup recording with something like that is uh where I came across it, not so much the field recording that you know you might do or a typical news agency or whatever might be using it for. But um, yeah, at any rate, it's interesting. I hadn't even thought of sort of other uses for it beyond that, which is obviously more what it's designed for, I would guess. So um, Yeah, it does. It has some good backup features as well. Things like having um, backup, it'll do a backup recording at, I want to say either, I think 10 decibels below, 10 or 20 decibels below what you're recording at. So just in case, you know, all of a sudden, whatever your your source is gets extremely loud, it can compensate for that. It has a 
a pre-record function so that it can be sort of always in, in standby. And if you hit record, you know, two seconds after someone starts giving you an answer or statement you wanted to record, it has that sort of backed up already. So things like that. There are definitely some things that I would sort of like to see improved on it. But all in all, I've been very, very happy with it. So you would recommend, like if somebody was looking for uh, like the, I would guess the, the majority of the audience that listens to this show anyways would probably be your sitting in the basement <laughs> well, I'm sitting in a basement but it doesn't have to be a basement uh, it could be anything but uh, sitting somewhere at a computer with a mixer or, or a USB mic like we talked about something like that but if somebody was looking for the ability to go sit in a coffee shop or whatever and record an interview with somebody um, something like this would be what you'd in, you'd recommend yeah, I definitely if 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 they're just looking like you said to record from home and they're always going to be sitting in front of their computer at their desk recording then yeah, you probably wouldn't need a, a setup like this. There are other options I would maybe look at, but yeah, for somebody who wants to be able to go out and about whether that's, you know, like you said recording interviews in different locations or just wants more flexibility and portability with it, then yeah, I think this would be a great option because like I said, I can go out and record, you know, more traditional interviews on the the flash SD card that's in it or I can just plug it into my computer and use it as a a USB audio interface for doing Skype calls and other stuff into my computer. So I I use it for both for doing Skype calls and also like you do with this show, recording introductions and outros after the fact, I, I do that. I just use it as the USB interface. I don't even bother to record to the drive first and then transfer it to the computer. I just do it all straight into the computer. Nice. And um, I don't know if you would know or have experience with this, but there's a, I came across, I think it's Rode Microphones, who also make the Rode Podcaster. They make a, um, IX, I, IXY adapter for i think it's just iphones and ipods ipod touches that kind of thing where it has that i'm just looking at that uh the mic that looks comes with the zoom that uh, mm-hmm. uh, stereo mic recorder would there be an advantage for somebody let's like well say me i have an iphone already getting just a mic for my iphone as opposed to getting the something like a zoom and forgive me if this is outside your experience to speak to but uh do, do you understand no what I'm saying? i yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I would say it depends on what you want to try and do with it. So like print journalists or somebody where not necessarily having the best final audio is the most important thing, then something like that might work. I'm actually probably when I'm home next uh, sometime in the next maybe few weeks, I'm going to look into picking up one of those microphones just to have sort of as a a backup for when I'm out and about in case, you know, all else fails. Right. But I, I I definitely think like, you know, let's say I'm interviewing someone and I want to make sure that both our audio sounds good. I don't want to have to keep sort of holding, you know, the, the iPhone up to my face, up to their face, back and forth and back and forth. That can be tough. And with external mics and, you know, using like, like the audio technical mic I have or the other mic that I have, you get, I think a lot more flexibility than you would with something attached to your phone. Right. Yeah. Another thing I've seen for some reason, I don't know why, but there's only of the little 
iPhone sort of iOS attachable high quality mics that are out there. I think I've only seen one that is a lightning connector. Most of them are the 30 pin connector and then you have to, you know, plug that into the adapter. So hopefully some more will start coming out with the the lightning connector, but that's definitely something I'm, I'm looking into as a, a good backup to, you know, in case I'm out and my whole equipment decides to fail because I, I have backups for just about like, let's say I, you know, get my gear and I go like, you know, last week I was out interviewing people here in Amman. I was out at a NGO interviewing them. And when I'm out there, I have two microphones, two external microphones and two XLR cables. If all of that failed, I have the digital recorder with the two external mic capsules. So I have two there. If those both fail or the external, you know, mic capsule connection or something failed, then you know, I'm I'm sort of out of luck. That's the, you know, if if the unit itself, the whole thing, the whole Zoom H6 decides to just die, then I'm out of luck. But if I have problems with just about anything else, I have a backup, and so that's why I'd look to to get one of those because yeah, it's not going to necessarily get me as good a sound, but it would be much better than just the straight, you know, iPhones record the iPhone internal microphone. So I think it would be a good a good backup that takes up, you know, next to zero space in a bag. Yeah, no kidding. Oh yeah, you definitely sound like you have contingency plans uh for your backups. So it's good. This the the IXY IXY one actually does it goes into the top into the the headphone jack, I think, is how I Okay, read it. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I think uh, I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, it goes into the headphones. So I don't know whether that again, whether like it, I think ultimately it would be good to have like a lightning bolt or lightning lightning bolt, thunderbolt, lightning, whatever. That <laughs> the new connection. Uh yeah, I always get those confused. Yeah. I think that's yeah, branding for the same thing. But um all right, so we've gotten uh and then you're going into uh a, well, a computer of some sort eventually. What uh Windows Mac and what software are you using to to edit with? So I am using a MacBook Air 13-inch, which I absolutely love. It's, uh, I think, 2013 MacBook Air? No, 2012 MacBook Air. It's 8 gigs of RAM, perfect for me. I've never had any you know, performance issues or speed issues with it. The only thing I wish I had was a retina screen just from... <laughs> being used to uh, looking at iPads and iPhones with beautiful screens. And then I go and try and read on this and it just, it hurts, but <laughs> you know, that's a, a first world problem. I feel a little silly, <laughs> silly complaining about that, but that yeah, would be the only is. thing. I, yeah. That would be the only thing I would change about that. And then I do all my editing in Hindenburg journalist pro, which I have been using for ooh, maybe a year and a half or so now. And really love interesting so that's yeah that's a i've heard a couple other folks um who've recommended that and i think all of them i don't want to say for sure one i know one guy um i won't try and butcher his name because i can't remember right now but he uh from australia sorry if i'm <laughs> sorry for forgetting your name. he was the first one but it, uh, someone else too i think they're anyways they're outside north america anyways i don't know if it's just a thing that is more common overseas from where i am anyways or it just happens to be that's just how it happened. But uh, how, how come you picked Hindenburg or, or where did, it, did you come across it? I honestly couldn't tell you where. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I know where I first heard about it, I'm sure. 
was on transom.org. I don't know if you're familiar with that site. Yeah. Somebody else, uh, this is why I don't do interviews late at night. Cause I, my brain starts to turn to mush. So I'm, I know somebody else had <laughs> yeah, mentioned yeah. that, but yeah, I'll, again, forgive me for whoever that was, if you happen to listen. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, I'm sure I saw it on, on transom.org, which if people don't know is a, a great website with lots of information about sort of producing radio. A lot of it is applicable to podcasts, but it's maybe more geared towards radio stories and produced radio pieces, but a lot, a lot of great gear recommendations, how to's and a lot of stuff that's sort of very timeless articles about the, the way you go about interviewing people and just some basic skills that aren't really dependent on the latest and greatest gear. There's, there's one article, I think it's called the basics which just has some really good advice for interviews and just the, the process of putting together radio stories that I think was first written like 15 or 20 years ago, but still is very, very relevant. But that's where I'm almost certain I probably first heard of Hindenburg. I was familiar with the sort of big players, I guess you could say in the audio editing world, primarily pro tools and logic and I had never been a fan of Pro Tools just because they require you to have a USB thing plugged in at all times. And (laughs) as we have discussed earlier, I'm not wild about the idea of just having a USB dongle plugged in all the time. And it's very expensive. And I understand that it's the sort of gold standard and that if I walked into, you know, an NPR BBC editing suite, that's probably what I'm going to find. But it's way more than than I need for what I do, and I really don't even envision a, a scenario where I would need that sort of power control or those the the type of stuff that's built into it. It's just way overkill, I imagine. If I if I had lots of money and a desktop computer, sure, I'd you know buy Pro Tools and all sorts of crazy outboard <laughs> interfaces, and just go wild with it. But I don't see the need for it. And then Logic would be great. It would, you know, do everything I need it to do for sure. But it's also very much geared towards music production. And I don't need all those music production features. I don't need all those effects, all those instruments, all the loops. It's not necessarily that that would hamper me in any way, but it's just more stuff that, that gets in the way and that I don't even need to sort of think about. Hindenburg is geared directly at people who are doing the types of stuff that I'm doing, producing radio stories, producing, you know, vocal pieces, producing audio and radio pieces. It's not about making music or producing songs or anything like that. And so I found it to be much more sort of streamlined, lightweight, geared clearly at the type of things that I'm looking to produce. And so I, you know, gave it a try and started using it and have really loved it ever ever since. There's definitely nitpicky issues I have with it, which I think anytime you you use a piece of software as much as I've used this and you really you get into finding out the the fastest ways of doing things and you learn all the keyboard shortcuts and all that, you definitely are bound to run into areas where you're like, oh my God, I wish that was configured just a little bit differently or why doesn't you know this feature work with the way in my brain i think it should work but on the whole yeah i've been very very happy with it 
Yeah, and that's every time I've talked to so the previous two folks, I just so I can sleep well tonight and <laughs> uh was Andrew Helmich, uh who is episode eleven of Show Me Your Mic, and then also Anna Rasquet Paz, which was episode twenty nine. Um and she's yeah, in in the journalistic vein of things, and that's definitely where Transom came from and Andrew had mentioned Hindenburg. So I'll put those links in the show notes. Um just so anybody's aware, you can find that at uh, goodstuff.fm slash SMYM for Show Me Your Mic slash 42 is this episode. I just want to take a quick break to thank the sponsor of Show Me Your Mic uh, for this month of uh, May is uh, Campaign Monitor. Sending an email doesn't have to be a chore. Campaign Monitor makes it fun, easy, and beautiful. If you need to send an email campaign in a hurry, try your hand at their template builder and have a responsive email template ready in 60 seconds. Campaign Monitor also lets you offer their services to your clients at your prices. And if you need help creating better emails, Campaign Monitor released a free ebook with their top 100 email campaigns of 2013. So go to campaignmonitor.com, that's campaignmonitor.com, and get started today. A huge thanks to one of our launch partners, as we're calling them, Campaign Monitor, and for continuing to be a sponsor here at Good Stuff and Show Me Your Mic. Every time I've talked to someone about Hindenburg, I think, yes, that's I should try this thing out because it totally seems like, just like what you said, um, a product that doesn't have all the extra loops and all the whatever extra stuff added to it that uh, is geared for storytelling, which is basically what we're doing in, in one sense of the word. So, mm-hmm. sense of the word. so um, the, you mentioned you have Journalist Pro version, um, and I was just looking, there was something in the features that I was thought I'd ask you about, but I can't remember what it was. Is there a reason why you went with Pro as opposed to just the standard Journalist version? I don't know that there's... The, the leveling features are nice, and I'm also a big fan of the call recorder. I use that to record all, all the shows. And I actually, I record, I have call recorder, the, the built-in call recorder that's part of Hindenburg Pro recording the calls. And then I also use Audio Hijack Pro to record all the calls, all my interviews as just a backup because there have been plenty of times where one or the other failed and I had to rely on a backup. Yeah. And it's, so it works very similar to uh, what folks, what's the um, Ecamm's uh, Skype add on. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going a blank right now, but uh, that one is in that you record to two separate tracks. So my voice would be on one track, your voice would be on another track. Um, but it comes built in obviously with the pro version. So I think it's something that um, if you're new to like, like you said, Logic definitely gets a lot of play in terms of podcasting circles. Talking about Audacity is another one, and uh, um, what am I forgetting? Not so, not so much Pro Tools in the podcasting circles, but uh, I feel like oh, GarageBand, of course, in GarageBand, yeah, yeah. And that's I'm again, I'm I slant more to the Mac side than Windows. There's probably just as good, but quite ugly software on the Windows side for podcasting. Yep, yep. Um, I imagine so. But uh, yeah, and I, yeah, go ahead. I think for me, if you know, if you're really getting going to be getting into podcasting or producing audio stories or any audio sort of stuff, it's definitely worth downloading some of the trials of some of the apps you mentioned. And you know, download Hindenburg has a 30 day trial. And just one of the big things I think is opening it up and putting some audio in and just seeing how it feels and seeing how the the look of the interface just does it click for you or does everything seem strange? There have been like to me, GarageBand, I just, it feels too gimmicky and sort of candy coated. I just can't 
get past that with GarageBand. So just the interface itself is, I does not work for me. Logic has a lot going on that I don't even want to bother sort of learning. It, it maybe there be could be more things I could do with it. I I doubt there's a lot I could do that I can't already do. But the learning curve would would slow me down so much compared to what I'm already able to do now, just having used this for a while. And the interface and the way things are laid out and the the keyboard shortcuts and everything just sort of clicks for me. And it, it it's an, a workflow that has become very intuitive and just makes sense in my mind. And yeah, so I'd say anyone looking to get into this stuff, just download some of the trials where you can find them and play around with it for a little bit. And I imagine you'll really see that some some apps will click with you more than others and and that'll that'll help you probably more than just sort of reading off a a massive feature checklist <laughs> and and saying, "Oh my god, look at all this this stuff one app can do." Like you, because you have to consider you can look at, you know, if you look at Apple's Logic website or the the Pro Tools website, those apps can both do a million different things. It is ridiculous how much is packed into those apps. And 99.9% of the people are never going to use all those features or need all that power and all that control and those sorts of things. So, yeah, you're much better off just trying some of the the simpler applications that are more geared directly towards what you're trying to do. And then, yeah, if you grow out of them later, so be it. But yeah, I think you're if you're first getting into it, you're you're going to give yourself more headaches than you need by just trying to jump into the thinking, oh, I'm I want to do this, I want to take it serious, so I definitely need the $800 audio editing program because you're just biting off more than you can chew and you probably end up just getting discouraged by not enjoying it and finding it very confusing and frustrating. Yeah, no definitely and that's uh there's and then similarly the the sort of entry level stuff I know um, Audacity is a common sort of point of entry for a lot of folks if they say that maybe maybe they're not on a Mac or whatever and that one can be to me anyways again going like you said the user interface like try it out because that one to me just is like mind bogglingly bizarre as far as how it works and doesn't work for me but I know lots of folks uh, there's a guy who just started following me on Twitter Daniel Lewis runs a whole thing dedicated to talking about the Audacity podcast with, um, so I'm just trying to find his, noodle.mx is his site, and talks a lot about using that, amongst other things as well. Um, and so it's, again, it's what works best for you, and don't be, don't shy away from spending a few bucks if it's going to be something that you're going to be doing a lot of, but don't don't feel like obligated to, just because Chris at Good Stuff uses the stupid big mixer that he wasted a bunch of money on. <laughs> and his <laughs> how wife many, is upset about. But, how many how many channels is your mixer? Uh there's about uh fourteen more than I need. So <laughs> 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 which is <laughs> and I definitely would not be throwing it in a backpack to take it to the coffee shop for No, <laughs> no, that's for sure. <laughs> that would probably be uh well it which actually has uh it has hindered in terms of I've let it hinder me anyways in terms of what I've been willing to go do. If I didn't have this, I probably would and I was more set up to be a little more mobile, I probably would be more willing to go meet someone at their house just because that's what I could do. It wouldn't matter if they came here. Whereas I feel like, oh, I got this gear here. I should, and then I just don't end up doing anything. So, but I digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you about uh, the, so I think we've covered all your gear and any other 
oddball yeah, stuff there is, hanging around? There is one other uh, piece of software I use um, that, like you mentioned, you know, spending the money can be useful when you, you need to do it. And that is uh, a company called Isotope. They make audio plugins. And I have one called RX3, and it is uh, an audio repair plugin and standalone application that I really, it, it's not cheap. It's a couple hundred dollars, but has been worth every penny for me in terms of being able to fix up pretty terrible audio. Because one of the big issues I face is that I'm selecting people to interview based on their qualifications and based on, you know, their, their areas of expertise, not based on how good of a microphone and recording (laughs) environment they have. And so I, every time I book an interview and I, you know, you know, those, those minutes when you're leading up to the Skype call and you make sure you got everything set up and recording. And I hit that, that call button and I'm just sitting there with my fingers crossed, waiting to hear them pick up and just praying that they'll have some sort of external microphone, that they won't be in a terrible loud room, all these things, that their internet connection will be halfway decent. And more often than not, you know, I'll get people that are in very echoey rooms. They don't have much in the way of an external mic. And so RX has been something that has been really great in terms of removing noise from their audio removing uh, the reverb and the echo, things like that. It has just been worth every penny. And I use it on my, my own audio as well, because even though I have a, you know, a good microphone set up here, my apartment that I have here in Amman is a terrible recording setup. It's a terrible <laughs> environment. It's all like my, the room I'm sitting in now, it's all hard walls, tile floor, windows, you know, just can be very echoey. And I get tons of street noise, not so much now because, you know, it's six in the morning. (laughs) But if I'm recording anything sort of, you know, around midnight or so my time, there'll be tons of cars out honking their horns, all sorts of just a a background rumble and things like that, that RX is able to, to get rid of very easily. And I just, it's been a huge help for me in terms of cleaning up the audio and making it sound as good as possible because that's something I since I started doing the show has always been very important to me I I understand I don't have the you know resources both my equipment and budget and things like that to get you know the same sort of production as the BBC or NPR or PRI or any of those but I try and get as close to that as possible in terms of the time I take with the editing the time I take repairing audio and just trying to make it sound as professional as possible because I know that no matter how interesting a topic and discussion might be and how really into that topic a a potential listener could be, if the audio is absolutely terrible, they're going to listen to it for a minute or two and then, you know, turn it off and probably never download any more episodes again. And so I, I want the show to be something that has a, a very high, as high a production value as, you know, I can possibly bring to it. And that's RX3 is definitely something that has helped me a lot with that. Yeah. And, it, and you bring up a good point because it's, I mean, you get that. There's probably some saying in, in broadcasting. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> off the top of my head, but of, you know, 
that listener will, even if you go that one episode they listen to for a minute and are annoyed by the car honking noise or whatever, they don't know that you've, you know, upgraded your studio or something uh, two months later to come back and listen. They'll just assume that that's what he sounds like or she sounds like. And that's that. like you're sort of set in stone as far as your, their judgment of you. So it's yeah, exactly within reason. Obviously exactly. you don't have to, like you said, yeah. go spend millions of dollars necessarily right away, but just make an effort to improve. And that's, yeah. Something. Yeah. I just do what I can sort of where I can to help fix up the audio and, you know, improve the guests audio because, you know, my shows, it's the overwhelming majority of what you'll hear is the guests talking. It's me asking questions and then relatively longer in-depth answers from, from the guests. So I really try and make their audio as, as good and clean sounding as possible. And, yeah, it's not always easy, and sometimes it, it doesn't work out great, and you just sort of have to make do with what you have. But, you know, more often than not, I'm able to get it out to a quality that I'm that I'm satisfied with, and I think I would tend to be more picky than, than other people. And also podcasts, you know, like you said, they're going to hear once, and it sounds like crap, and so they're not going to come back. And, and, you know, listening to a podcast, it's a, a conscious choice someone is making to listen to that show. You're not, you know, sort of channel surfing or just going around on your dial or hopping in your car and just, oh, whatever pops on the radio it was on. Like, people are making a decision to, okay, at this moment, I want to listen to this. And I want that to be as high a quality of product so that when new episodes come out, they'll say, oh, yeah, def- you know, I want to listen to that again. I want to get that next episode. So it's, yeah, to me, it's, it's definitely important to get the audio quality as, as good as you can. And I think a lot of that too helps because we're still sometimes deal with that old notion of anything that's a podcast is just two guys in their basement with terrible computer mics and, you know, don't know what they're doing and have no sort of flow or structure to the conversation. So I think as as many things as podcasters and people like us can do to help make the the quality of our shows sound as much like a highly produced show on the radio, the better. Because, you know, the, the content can be different and can be much more varied and interesting and target different niches. But you definitely need that, that production quality that, that people, I think, expect. Yeah. And especially, I mean, like you said, we're sort of speaking for, or you're, we're, we're all in this, um, I don't know, fight is a strong word, but like in this battle, I guess, or whatever, that's just a strong word. Anyways, to try and convince the normal folks, this is something that uh, we at Good Stuff have been sort of struggling with and how to sort of do better at is getting regular folks who don't want to have to figure out how to listen to a podcast to listen because it's, you are like you're there's so much against us. It's not something you could just accidentally do, like you said. It's not something that you can just flip your radio dial to in the car. And so we uh any chance you have to sort of introduce somebody to podcasting helps us all, obviously. And and whether they stick with your show and or maybe go on to other shows or, or whatever, um, it benefits us all that the more folks that are sort of tuned into this this medium, I guess. And so yeah. That's uh, hopefully what a little bit of what um, this show, Show Me Your Mic, is is trying to be about, I guess, uh, un, uh, unofficially or, or whatever. But uh, um, one thing I wanted to ask you before I we'll we'll get into some of the 
getting some of the podcasts that you listen to and, and how you listen to them and all that kind of stuff. Um, you you do, I noticed, uh, and this may be a recent thing, but I noticed you have a survey on your website, uh, on the podcast site, middleeastweek.org slash survey. Uh, it's kind of like your, whatever, a listener audience survey of sorts, right? Um, yeah, yeah, just and- a... a- Traditional, you know, simple survey, yeah. Yeah, and do you have you got much feedback? I guess, and and is that something you'd recommend podcasters add as an option for? And you do it anonymously, so it's not like people are telling you their name if they don't want to or whatever. And um, have you gotten much feedback from folks, or what's the response been to something like that? I have, I have gotten a, a fair amount of of feedback. I mean, it hasn't been an, you know an overwhelming flood of feedback, but I've <laughs> yeah. definitely, I've definitely gotten some very great responses from people and i'm i would definitely recommend podcasters out there do something like that create a a simple way for people to to just send you some some feedback and particularly any questions you might have and you know because there's been things from it that surprised me like for example the number of people who listen to the show on the website every week that i because to me, I never would think to listen to a podcast on the show's website. I've, right. Since I've been listening to podcasts, I, you know, when I first got into them years ago, it was okay. I need to find an app for this on my phone so that I can take it with me. It was never. I'm going to sit in front of Safari and click play and be in front <laughs> of my computer while it plays. Like that, to me, that seems strange. But so many people say that they do that and. I wanted to find out, you know, do people subscribe to the show? Do they do they listen to every episode? Or is it something where they see what the topic is and decide whether or not to listen? And where do they find out about the show? Do they find out on Twitter or do they subscribe to the show? Or how, you know, how are they finding out about new episodes? And what do they really like? What do they think could be improved? Things like that. And yeah, it's been very valuable. I've gotten a lot of people that have said one of the things they like is the the quality of the show and the the quality of the guests. I've gotten some good feedback about, you know, guests that have been on the show, some good suggestions in terms of topics to cover and things like that. And yeah, I, I've definitely learned a lot from, from the feedback I've gotten, you know, it hasn't been, like I said, a a million people sort of (laughs) submitting feedback, but there's definitely been enough to sort of see some trends and see like, okay, here's some, Here's some things maybe I could work on. Here's some things that are important to make sure I keep doing, like having a regular release schedule with new episodes coming out, you know, on a pretty regular basis is definitely something that is very important. Things like that that you'll see that, okay, these are things I should maybe change or these are things that are are good that I should keep doing. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely worth it for other podcasters to to do because it only takes a couple minutes and if people, you know, give you some feedback, great. If they don't, well, you wasted a few minutes. But I, I definitely think you'll get, you'll at least get some people who will give you some input and some some feedback. Yeah, and I think especially the because I we often, um, well, we speaking for myself, anyways, with with good stuff related activities, we we mention you know ping us on Twitter or or send us an email at chris at goodstuff.fm or whatever. But often folks don't necessarily want to you know, either personalize it that way where not that they have bad things to say, but they kind of just want to anonymously submit just some quick feedback and not have to deal with like follow up or, <laughs> or anything like that. Right. And so, uh, I think that's a great, great uh, little extra tool that, uh, 
and so do you mention it most episodes or, or just sort of whenever you think of it? Um, I mentioned it a lot when it, when I first put it up, I didn't mention it in this most recent episode, but yeah, I try and mention it or put links to it in every couple episodes. And you are absolutely right. What you just said about, you know, telling people ping us on Twitter or you, you know, contact us such and such email. Since I started the show, I've had a contact page and on every, at the end of every single episode, I'm, I'm almost certain I will say, if you have any comments or questions, you can go to the show's website and use the contact form to get in touch. Literally verbatim those words. And almost no one has ever <laughs> used it to send in any comments. I mean, maybe one or two over the life of it. And as soon as I put up the like the first episode I put up with the mention of the survey and when I had the survey up, Within maybe two hours of that episode even being out, I started getting feedback via the the survey form. And <laughs> I don't know if it was that, you know, it was anonymous or that I was specifically maybe more clearly saying, hey, listeners, I'm I'm looking for your feedback to help me improve the show. Please just, you know, it's a very short survey. Please take a minute. Tell me what you like, what you don't like. This is just some some simple information that I would like that will really help me continue improving the show. And maybe it was that I was, you know, sort of more direct about the the goal of it. But whatever it was, having something that was clearly listener feedback as opposed to a more open-ended, simple contact form definitely helped get a lot more responses. Yeah, that's – yeah, so, certainly something will uh, – well, I'm only one-third, I guess, of the – the founders anyways, but certainly something we'll think about here. Good stuff. Cause that to me, it seems like a good way to, to, to manage that. And it's actually, it's interesting because, uh, um, another show I do just a solo show, which is just me babbling stuff in my brain for 10 minutes or less called daily ish. There was, before I brought it over to good stuff there, I knew there was about, I don't know, a hundred people that downloaded it or whatever, 80 to a hundred downloads per episode. And so I think I, I was like, you know, it's just me talking. You're obviously tuning in to listen to me. So if I say, hey, tell me what you want to hear, then you'd think at least one of those people would respond and say, here's why I'm listening or this, you know, but I didn't, I didn't give them any sort of anonymous thing. It was more just like on, again, like the Twitter thing or the contact form on good stuff. And uh, yeah, it just kind of makes me wonder about, about that idea. So anyways. Yeah. And I'd have to say if I, I might change the, the contact form to have a box at the bottom to put in your email if you maybe would like a response or something like that. Right. Because there have there have been some feedback forms I've received with some, you know, very lengthy, I mean, people clearly spent some time writing out <laughs> very lengthy comments, both positive and negative. And there are some where I've read it and just thought, oh, I wish I could respond to you. I wish I could say, you know, hey, Thanks a lot, one, for taking the time to, to fill this out because, I, you know, I really appreciate that. That's a really cool thing for you to do to help the show. And, you know, thank you for, for listening. Clearly, somebody who's going to take that time is somebody who listens to the show regularly. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'd love to be able to respond and say some of the, the things like, oh, I, I like that you appreciate such and such factor of the show and some criticisms or complaints maybe to be able to explain you know, why I do things a certain way or certain choices I've made, you know what I mean? To help, help them maybe understand it or to just explain, yeah, these are, this is the reason I do this 
as opposed to them just sort of wondering, like, maybe this is something Carl never considered or thought about. So, I, yeah, I kind of wish that for some I had been able to respond. But, you know, like anything with this, you you try something and you learn from it and you adapt and adjust and sort of move on and, you know, keep trying new things. Yeah. Well, you could always, I mean, depending on what the feedback was, I guess, you could always address it in a future episode or something too, assuming that the person wasn't so mad at you that they stopped listening and and don't yeah. ever want to hear your voice again or, or whatever the case may be. But um, but yeah, that's, uh, I've to, for me personally, I really value that feedback and, and just the idea that uh, some someone out there is listening that you... <laughs> I know that mm-hmm. uh, Kyle is listening in the chat room and or listening to the live stream right now. So I know there's at least one person out there. But and there's you know people who download the show. But you don't ever most the vast majority don't ever send anything back, good or bad, um, which I guess is just a good indication that you're doing something right that they're listening. But but yeah, just that human touch of like okay, there's actually somebody out there and uh, any of that, that kind of stuff is. It's good. Maybe I'm just needy that way, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> No, I, I completely agree. I mean, there have been times where I've seen, you know, I it always helps like when I put a new show out and people retweet it. And, you know, especially sort of prominent or well-known, well-respected people in my sort of field of sorts of Middle East studies and international relations type stuff. It's always nice when, you know, well-known people retweet it and, you know, just will we'll tweet out a link to it. But there have been a few times where people who, you know, these types of well-respected people will tweet out a link to it with a quote from the actual episode. And that always just, I don't know, makes me even a little more excited because it's like, <laughs> Hey, they, they definitely listen to the show. Yeah. That's cool. They're not just seeing it and being like, Oh cool. Yeah. Retreat, whatever. Yeah. Like that, that's nice. And I think you definitely downloaded and listened to that. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, totally, for sure. That's a method of uh, just not to get too off onto the Twitter topic, but I know um, I've seen a lot of folks doing that, and it's not brand new, I don't think, but that idea of rather than just tweeting an article, but actually tweeting a quote from it, which I think is a good, yeah, a little flag both to the author as well as to anybody who's interested in the article or the podcast episode of what's going on and, and that you actually did read it. It wasn't just a quick quick retweet. So, um, so the last way, or what I end with is... Uh, finding out what you yourself listen to and podcasts that you're into and, and things like that. So um, I don't know if you have your podcast player of choice handy or whatever, but uh, what are some I do. shows I that do. you, you uh, dig these days? All right. So uh, in terms of apps, uh, I've been a long time downcast user, but recently I've been playing around with pocket casts a little bit just because there are a couple couple features the one the one feature i love is the play next feature of being able to i'm listening to a show and just find another show and add it to what's coming up next it's similar to like itunes and spotify and all these have that and for me that just is something that i really like so i've been playing around with pocket casts but i'm i'm a big fan of downcast as well yeah um, my one I, uh, i'll just interject because that's the, the app i use yep. and I've, I've loved it except and i love that feature of play next and you can just build up a playlist as you're going mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. that when you're playing and maybe you know of a, a way around this but if i'm playing a podcast and i go to that uh, playlist and say bump ahead to whatever a, a different episode then the episode i was listening to is gone like not literally gone, but it's gone off the playlist, right? 
and it mm-hmm. it's also out of the I sort of rely on the unplayed filter or playlist or whatever as the sort of go to, and then I have a downloaded playlist as well. But um, the unplayed filter, and so it's but then it's not in that unplayed list anymore because it's been played, but it's not finished, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yep. so I, yep. that's the one. I wish it would just kind of like say put that episode that I was listening to back to the bottom of the list or or whatever, not just mm-hmm. wipe it off the list. So I guess mm-hmm. you're you're in agreement or you don't have a solution for it. Oh yeah. No, no, I don't have, I, I am in agreement, and I don't have a solution. And I, and I think this is sort of, it's similar to like when I was talking about Hindenburg earlier about how, if you use a, any piece of software a lot, you will find little things where it's just yeah. nitpicky for sure, but just bothers you. And you just think, Oh, what I wouldn't give to yeah. make, <laughs> you know, X feature work a little bit differently. And yeah, for me, I'm the same way podcasts are, you know, I am listening to them almost constantly. And so, yeah, I, I'm always experimenting and seeing, you know, what different app, you know, what new features they have or what things have they changed. And so I've, I've been liking pocket casts, but for me, yeah, I had to create several different episode filters because I, I guess, subscribe to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I, and is that on I have, uh, Pocket? That was just for iPad or iOS, I guess. Um, and Downcast, do you have it just on your phone as well? I or have it on my, I have it on my phone, my Mac, my iPad, I think too, but I only ever use them on my phone just because my phone's always with me. And, you know, when they came out with iPad and, excuse me, iPad, Mac versions, all that, I thought, oh, cool, you know, got to get that because I love podcasts and I love downcast. <laughs> but it turns out that I never really used them. I mean, any situation where I'm going to be sitting in front of my Mac to listen to a podcast, my phone's in my pocket or sitting on the desk or, you know, it's not... Yeah some other space. So for me, yeah, it just makes the most sense to just keep them all on the phone. And I have tons of them. I have 72 podcast subscriptions, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe uh, you'll have to pick your top 10, I guess. or something. Yeah, I won't go through. Well, I'll, I'll try and give some ones that are slightly different than maybe sure. some of yeah. the ones you've heard before. Maybe some will be repeats. But one thing for me, though, with the podcast is I, you know, I have some that are must listen every episode. As soon as it comes out, I listen and some that I'll just let a queue build up for maybe I have a long flight or something like that. It's just sort of nice to always know, Hey, if I have time, there's, there's something there to listen to. But so a couple, uh, I'm just scrolling down my list. Um, vice, the news company, I, I don't really know what to call them, but you know, Vice Magazine, I think they have a magazine, a news company, and produce videos and stuff. They have a, a podcast that's pretty interesting. They do some interesting little interviews and good quality. Uh, Transom.org, the website I mentioned, they have uh, a podcast that has good sort of behind-the-scenes stuff and, and stories about uh, audio creation. Another one is The Loopcast. If you are into the sort of stuff my show covers or also cybersecurity, any sort of national security, info security, Middle East type stuff. They, they cover a broad range of topics, but are very interesting and, and topics that I think somewhat overlap with my show, but not, uh, they have a lot of much broader range that they cover. Uh, let's see. The next one is uh, Arabist which is there's a website, arabist.net, and that is a 
really great website for commentary and analysis on things going in the Middle East, particularly in Egypt. Uh, their podcast isn't updated very frequently. That's the one complaint I would have about them. But when it is updated, it's very good informational and really interesting discussions about current events in Egypt. <laughs> Sorry, just looking at the site and top thing right now happens to be the falafel index, which just says how many falafel sandwiches you can get for 10 bucks in the various regions. <laughs> That's important to know. Yeah, well, I would imagine. <laughs> very, just very to, important to know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see. Scrolling down. Uh, another one called How Sound put out by uh, PRX, which is the public radio exchange, which people don't know. It's a website where independent producers can create audio stories, any sort of audio really, and sell it, put it up on there. It's a marketplace for people, for uh, public radio stations to buy content that they use. So, you know, your local small town public radio station that probably doesn't have the budget to have, you know, lots of staff creating all sorts of pieces. They go to places like this to buy content to sort of fill their time and, they produce a uh, a podcast called House Sound that ha- features some of their pieces, has some interviews and sort of behind the scenes stuff and and background and you know tips and tricks sort of things, and a lot of good good information about uh, creating the sort of radio stories and radio pieces they feature. Uh, and then a couple that are sort of my daily listens for sure are. Uh, PRI's The World. I'm a, a big fan of that. I'm sure people have mentioned that. And also the the BBC World Service is their World Update Daily Commute. And those are two. Another one is uh, Worldview by uh, WBEZ out of Chicago. Those are a couple that are just sort of daily news focus that I, those are my, you know, morning listens as I'm getting coffee and just getting breakfast and getting ready in the morning. I, I always have those on. So those, I think that covers some of the, the ones that maybe people haven't mentioned as much in the past. And then obviously I, you know, like many guests, I'm sure listen to a lot of the, the five by five shows, um, you know, ATP and all the talk show, all those sorts of, all the tech related shows, because that's how I, first got into podcasting and so i definitely i love those but yeah it's nice to sort of you know explore out and find some different shows about different topics yeah well i think um, yeah aside from obviously the five by fives atps talk show etc those ones are you know mentioned more often but i think the other ones uh again i i should we should have built that into our good stuff cms as a just like a checklist so i could actually build a <laughs> a quick catalog of how many times the uh, let's say the Vice podcast has been men- list mentioned or whatever, but uh, but we didn't. So I, I don't I don't think any of those. Maybe the Worldview WB Easy, just because again, um, which other show? Uh, PRI the World that one's yeah, probably maybe those two been mentioned. mentioned. Yeah, but, those uh, are those are pretty big shows, but yeah, the rest are are definitely smaller, you know, less common shows. I yeah. would say. Well, that's I think I I hope anyways people I assume people tune in until the end and listen to this part. I, of the show. I would hope so. I mean, <laughs> the, those are those are things I would definitely say if the topics like if you look at my show and it interests you, definitely go check out some of them because they also have will have content that I think will be very interesting to to people who like the the sorts of things that my show puts out. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh that's great. I think. Uh, 
that's a great overview of, of what well, both your show and the gear you're using and then also just uh, some other shows that folks might be interested in finding out about. Um, in wrapping up, I guess, where can folks find you, follow you, all that kind of stuff? It's, uh... Uh, you can, obviously, the show's website, MiddleEastWeek.org. You can, you know, links to subscribe to the show, uh, all that stuff, all the past episodes and whatnot. Um, the contact form that is <laughs> rarely used. Feel free to send me a message on it. I, I <laughs> would be happy to respond. And then I'm on Twitter at uh, Carl Morand. Um, I'm sure you can uh, put a link in the show notes as far as the spelling goes on that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't I don't tweet a ton. A lot of it's stuff about the show and things like that. So yeah, follow me on on Twitter. You'll find out. Uh, who upcoming guests will be as well as when new episodes come out and some, uh, some other sort of podcast related projects. I I have sort of in the works right now that relate to the middle East and, and things like that. So cool. those are the best places to, to keep in touch with me. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks Carl for coming on show me your mic. And, uh, like I said earlier, if you're looking for all the links to the, all the different stuff we've talked about, the podcast Carl mentioned that he listens to, the apps that he uses, all that kind of stuff, you can find that at goodstuff.fm slash smym slash 42. That's the episode number, obviously, of this show. So there's 41 previous episodes of with a variety of different podcasters that you can go back and listen to if you're just new to this show. And I thank you for listening if you are. Um, hopefully the audio quality was up to your standards that you can <laughs> stick around and uh, my thanks to campaign monitor for sponsoring show me your mic and supporting good stuff and uh, i think that's it for this episode thanks for listening have a great day mm-hmm.